How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the fourth episode of the Zoocast. I'm Adam Copeland, joined as always by my wonderful co-hosts, Louis Boulet and Josh Blazer. Uh, last time we talked to you guys, free agency had just started. A lot of the big names went off the board quite early. Um, the Stens were not super active, but they made a couple moves. Um, but we're kind of winding down, and some of the, you know, there's there are some other extensions that have been that have been made some some signings and some re-signings uh and a lot of or a few of them at least uh people kind of looked at and that's like they're kind of thinking that's a pretty big number um for some of the guys that got signed it was a big week for defensemen that's for sure um we can start in columbus so obviously the blue jackets traded seth jones and that means that you know that's a lot of it's a lot of cap out the window there. And they used it, or a lot of it, on Zach Wierenski, who signs a six-year, $9.5 million deal. So Zach Wierenski is making more money than Kale McCarr. Um, so that's that's definitely something. Um, but, uh, but Josh, what are your initial thoughts on this? Obviously, losing uh, one of their big-minute guys like Jones uh, seems to be a pretty significant commitment to uh, another young defender in Wierenski. Yeah, well, I mean, they probably improved. They're, if if Wierenski's your number one demon instead of Seth Jones, that's probably a step up. Yeah. Um, they're kind of in a weird space. I don't know if, they, if they're considering it a rebuild or not. They exposed Max Domi, so I don't know what's going on with him, one of their better forwards. Uh, but if Wierenski's your number one demon, it might be a bit too much money at almost $10 million, but he's actually, you know, he's a, he's a good defenseman and uh, I think a fair amount better than the Seth Jones type. I, people were making jokes, but it was funny that they think that they gave an extra 83,000 just so they could say they signed a better <laughs> demon than Jones, right. <laughs> give him a little bit more money. But um, I don't know if they're going to need much of a cap crunch considering they're going through sort of a retool phase anyways. Right. Yeah, there's a that's a that is a good point. I guess you can't, you know, when you have that much cap to burn, you know, maybe putting a few hundred thousand dollars into a player like that is not, not the worst, uh, not the worst thing you could do. But uh, Louis, this is an interesting trend that we'll see with another defenseman who was signed, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. But uh, Kale McCarr got nine million, and people regarded that as quite a, like that's quite a good contract for him. And now we're yeah. seeing these defensemen getting more than that who i'd say are widely considered to be just in general not as valuable as kale mccarr so what do you like from a from a negotiation standpoint how do you think morensky kind of swindled this where he could get nine point i think it was like five eight three instead of you know over the nine that mccarr got with colorado i'm pretty sure here that the fact that jones just left and they need to have like they need to have the feel for a top paired guy to be locked up kind of played into that and the fact that they are going into a retool so they don't have as much money that won't be available 
like they can actually put into him to give him the certainty that he'll stay throughout the rebuild. And it's, it's, I think it's only six years, right? Yeah. So maybe cool. if it had gone eight year, it would have been less like a slightly mm -hmm. smaller AV who knows, but yeah, this is, this is the year of D men overpay. <laughs> I, it's, there's no doubt about that at all. I think, sorry, w one of the things with uh, that th it's a difference between Makar and guys like uh, Wierenski, Jones, and Nurse we'll talk about is Makar's only played two seasons, and I'm not sure how the playoffs play into RFA and UFA status, but most of the years on Makar's contract are restricted free agency. And normally guys who are restricted free agents, those years of their contracts aren't worth as much. So it's a bit hard to compare a guy who's an RFA for, I want to say, four of the six years of his contract, maybe three of them, versus a guy who's a UFA for almost every single one. So I don't even know if they would use Makar as a comparable guy's UFA versus RFA. So that's another thing to consider. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. There's a lot more factors to consider, especially in a, in a cap, in, in, a, in a league in which the, the cap and the cap structure influences so much about contracts. Um, it's hard to just look at, talent level and value uh mm -hmm. as kind of a defining factor for your playoffs but louis touched on this this was the day for overpaying d-men um edmonton has had an off season they have certainly tried to we talked we, we talked about this last episode that they tried to rekindle this blue line and reform it and make it better it's kind of i i mean i think they made it worse like a lot of people just seem to agree that they've made it worse um Darnell Nurse is a good player. I, I think that a lot of people like – he had a good year last year. Um, I don't think that he's worth the contract that he signed, which is eight years at $9.25 That is like – that's elite superstar number one defenseman money for that long of a term. Um, and, and Darnell Nurse secures this contract. He is, in some aspect of fairness to the Oilers, he is their number one defenseman that's not necessarily a good thing. And that's not necessarily a reason to pay him that much. Um, but uh, I mean, you look at that blue line now with this nurse extension and uh, Josh, I, I think it's fair to say that they might be in a bit of trouble down the line. Yeah. I think I said this last episode, like all Edmonton has to do is get four guys who can move the puck to McDavid and they're basically set, even if that, that helps them save money. Right. Um, and it's another example of why players shouldn't necessarily take pay cuts to help out their team. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that your GM is going to put it to good things. I mean, look at the defense he's built for McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um, But he did have a really good season. I mean, if he can, you know, improve a little bit on last year and play at that, that, that level for maybe six or seven years of that contract, it might not even be a bad deal. But you're really just banking on that one year turning out to be good and I think he actually has one year right I don't think he was an RFA now he's an RFA next year so I don't understand why they didn't wait until the end of the next year to uh, try and work that out but I don't know we'll see it again if he keeps it up at the same level it could end up looking okay but it's a big uh, it's a big risk and Louis Josh touched on the this kind of RFA UFA dynamic do you think it might have been worth it um, from the Oilers perspective at least to try to uh, to try to bridge this a little bit more maybe and, and kind of give Dart Nurse a bit more of a kind of prove me contract ever after he's coming off such a, you know, really, really like I'd say probably is the best year of his career. Um, and then he immediately gets rewarded with this, this eight year ridiculous money contract. So you think that it would have been a better strategy, at least for the team, if they maybe 
tried to get a little bit lower term, even if it's sacrificing maybe a few more dollars. Yeah, definitely. Especially after he had such a high and likely unsustainable shooting bender this year. Right. Like he just finished, like his finishing, uh, like I guess numbers were incredibly high. Um, 16 goals in 56 games, which is insane. Um, but his actual offensive play driving numbers were not that great. Like when you compare it to his actual production. And the thing is, he's already coming off a bridge or two bridges. Yeah. I'm looking okay. at it here. Yeah. He had 3.2 million for 2018-19 and then 2019-20. And then, yeah, and, and then a two-year bridge for 5.6 million. And then he's making 9.25 million for eight years until 2030, which is, that is hefty. I mean, that it's a big a jump. Lot. Like that seems like a, like a pretty ridiculous jump after coming off two bridges, right? Like, especially yeah. the, well, the, the thing AD. is, like, you'd think, like, this is a pretty good example for why you should probably try to lock up your players as soon as they come out of their ELC, if you feel at least a little bit confident in them. You're like, yeah, it right. could backfire. But if you know that you have a player there, you lock him up because you're locking him in for his primes. It's primes, right. been being, like, in the young players, have been being moved up to younger and younger um, throughout, the, throughout the years here in this league. And if you don't do it, then you'll end up with a situation like this where you have to pay Darnell Nurse 9.25 million until 2030. And I think a good example of this, um, you say it's important to lock up your guys before they're, or right after their ESC. Thomas Shabbat is a fantastic example. Um, yeah. The Sens lock him up for eight years at eight mil, which is now looking like a steal of a contract when you look at what these other defensemen are getting. Like he's, you know, everyone's going into like nine to 9.5 and there's Shabbat, who is an elite defenseman at eight. And that's pretty good on your cap. Um, yeah, thank God he doesn't need a contract in this economy, man. <laughs> yeah, that's it, eh? Right? You gotta be thankful that they, uh, that they locked him up when they did. Um, th- however, not every defenseman that was signed in the last few days was overpaid. Uh, the Islanders have been making some interesting moves this offseason. They've kind of, they've had a weird couple of years where I wouldn't call it. I mean, you have to call it a contention era for them because they've been so close so many times and now you're starting but the way that they play it's not a star driven team but you're starting to see these players emerge as you know really really good players and one of those guys is adam pellick on their back end who's been very very good for them he signs an eight-year contract at a very modest 5.75 uh cap hit uh i i mean this is a consensus pretty good contract for the islanders josh wouldn't you say and and it's definitely going to help them try to contend for a little while longer oh absolutely yeah it's um one of those things where he, he's not the type of guy who's gonna flash and put up points and stuff or command the same amount as the other guys and a lot of that as as stupid as it is comes down to draft pedigree and size because you know Ale- uh, adam pellick was a third round pick mm-hmm. um, so he doesn't have the pedigree that a jones or a nurse has in the sense that there's just this idea that they're good. Um, he's sort of one of those, he's one of those analytical guys who's good in both ends, you know, a, a top pair guy who's now locked up for 5.75 for eight years. I'm kind of surprised Pellick did this himself. He probably could have got more if yeah. he went for less term, but I mean, you can't really go wrong with almost 6 million a year. <laughs> I just think the, I, I mean, you know, Lou's been criticized by some people. He's also won GM of the year. Um, yeah. But, for this specifically, yeah, it's a great job. And um, the Islanders are interesting because they have 12 mil in cap space this year. All they have to do is sign Beauvillier and Sorokin. So they kind of have more room to play with than they usually do. 
Yeah, that's fair. And, and Louis, you look at what will be a, a very interesting Metro this year um, with a couple of teams that are trying to climb up like, like the Devils. Um, the Islanders lost Jordan Eberle to the expansion draft, which obviously a lot of people criticize the fact that Lamorella protected guys like Clutterbuck and, and Matt Martin instead of, you know, I think it was Josh Bailey was available too, uh, as yep. well as, as Jordan Everly. Um, they lose Everly. Do you think that they'll still be, you know, where they're used to be or where they're used to being at the top or near the top of the Metro uh, this coming season? Well, I mean, they play better than the sum of their parts, typically yeah. just because of their system and what Barry Cross does. Uh, I'm just looking at the, at the Metropolitan standings here. And again, we think Pittsburgh is going to drop off and they never do. Um, <laughs> Carolina's probably going to have a little bit of a more down year. For sure, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and then you have Columbus, who won't be nearly as good. I think the Islanders are still, I don't think they'll be top end. They could be. It's, it's pretty crowded in that, like, not necessarily super top end tier. Like, they don't have a Tampa Bay or a Vegas or a Colorado there but they still have a bunch of good teams, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very fun competitive division to look at. And with that Pellick deal, like the Islanders made sure that they can sign other guys by lowering his AAV and staying under the cap, right? Because I think um, they haven't announced Palmieri or Sezikis yet, but it's rumored that they'll stay there. Yep, that's right. Okay, yeah. So yes, they lost right. Everly, but they still have Bailey and everything. They were able to move Ladd. Um, they were able to move Letty. Um, so I think they'll still be a competitive team and that Adam Pellet contract, just in terms of the AAV compared to what his actual numbers driven are, like he's one of the best pure defensive defensemen in the league while still being very solid offensively, very good on the PK and can take those tough minutes against very good players. He's going to provide a lot of value for that contract on a competitive Islanders team. Yep. I agree. And just going back to the topic of, of the teams in the Metro, I'm like the most I think one of the most intriguing teams in the league is the Devils. I'm so interested to see what what they end up doing in this division because just of how much stuff has changed, not only with their team, but with the teams around them. They just signed, we might add right now that they just signed Tatar. Um, Thomas Tatar, two years at 4.5 million for Montreal. That's going to help them. They had a couple, yeah, they had a couple holes at forward. Um, I'm excited to see if they can get a guy like Holtz in their lineup, maybe a guy like Clark in their lineup to really inject some youth and, and, and get their top six or middle six going. They have like a great one-two punch down the middle now with, with Heischer and Hughes, um, assuming that they can both stay healthy. That's I, I I think that that could be an underdog playoff team this year. Very exciting team to watch, especially no, if they can get Holtz like as a yeah, sniper on the wing exactly. for Hughes or Heischer. That'd be awesome. I think there's a bit of a question in net. Can Blackwood be? Because Blackwood has been solid for them, I think, in the last couple of years, but can he keep going? Are they, what are they going to do with Bernier? Is Bernier going to be their backup or maybe their starter? Um, there's always questions in that, but uh, probably going to be one, a one B, right? Yeah. I, I would have to assume that they go, uh, that they go one, a one B. And then, I mean, that defense is as good as it's been for them in years. They get Hamilton, um, Ryan Graves in a trade, another year of, of, of Ty Smith. He's only going to get better. Um, and you can see what you have in, does Subban have anything left in the tank? Do you have, you know, maybe Jonas Siegenthaler plays a, a nice role for them. I think that's a super interesting team and I'm excited uh, to see what they do, but we'll go back to the Tatar sign for a bit. Um, Josh, he did not play in the playoffs for Montreal at all. 
which is weird, right? Like that was just like, nobody really understood why that was happening. I mean, I guess they were winning, so who cares? Um, but this, uh, this seems like a really good value signing for a team like the Devils, don't you think? Yeah, so a lot of Haas fans were saying how they didn't care that they lost to Tyre because he didn't perform in the five games he was given all playoffs. But <laughs> from the day he joined the team, he led the team in points in the regular season. I think he had 145 points, and that was the most on the Habs in the three seasons he was there. And, I mean, this is a team that also just lost Deneau and is losing Weber. Yeah. And... I mean, you lose another one of your top six forwards, you're not necessarily even going to make the playoffs. So I don't know why you're almost happy that you lost one of your best forwards, your best offensive players. And yeah, just, I mean, I think the Devils are missing one or two pieces in their top six, and that's one of them there. Like you said, like Jack Hughes and Heeshear down the middle is just going to be really cool. I mean, I think Hughes is, he already broke out a bit last year, but I think another step forward is definitely going to happen. And, you know, worst case, he's your second line center because he's right. not a bad player either, right? Right. So Absolutely. They, they, they also have a lot of flexibility too because of that. So I'm looking at their cat friendly right now. I mean, almost every single player on here is under the age of 24. <laughs> There's Miles Wood is 25, yeah. Andreas Johnson's 26, and then that was their oldest player guitar in, in, in terms of forwards. Yeah. And then, like we said, there's Holtz who's not even on here. There's Graham Clark. And so there's a ton of like opportunity for them. And they're, they're not, their team, it's not um, expected to do well. And oftentimes that leads to teams performing even better because they don't have that pressure to, I was, to make the playoffs. I was going to say, they've gone so under the radar these last couple of years. Like mm. They've been rebuilding. But every all everybody talks about is the Sens and the Kings, right? Those are the team and the Rangers, I guess. Like those are the three teams that everyone's like, oh, they're going to like, man their futures are so bright look at like look at the devils i think that that's going to be that could be a very good team soon i think they can make the playoffs this year in that division yeah. um i'm looking, yeah, definitely, definitely i'm looking watching. at their 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 um some of their prospects like obviously we talk about holtz and clark i mean they also drafted dawson mercer who's yeah. an incredibly skilled forward i've watched some of tice thompson's game in the ncaa he looks like he could be a terrific middle six player I mean, and then you have more under the radar guys like Talvidi and Zetterland. Um, that like more guys could jump into that top six in the next two seasons. And then you have, you know, you have a good problem where you have too many top six wingers on top of that one-two punch at center. And um, obviously they signed Dougie Hamilton. They have their number one D. They have Ty Smith. Like that's mm-hmm. a huge core to have. So it'll be interesting to see how if they can uh, continue jumping up. Should be mentioned when we're on the topic of Devils prospects. A couple of former Ottawa 67s on the back end there, and big <laughs> Kevin Ball and Nikita Kachuk. Who knows if they see time maybe in the near future with them, but uh, definitely Ball will. just because yeah, of the Ball size. Will. Let's be honest. Ball will because of the size. I, I know they really like him in that organization. Um, but we will see. We will see what happens with the Devils. Um, and before we get to our next topic here, we should touch on some sense news. They did avoid arbitration with Mete. Um, and they sign him at a year, 1.2 million. I, I don't think that the AAV, I, I think a couple of people thought that he should have gotten less, but they're so like, they have $30 million in cap space. Like who cares? Like you yeah. sign him for an, like $200,000 extra. It's really not, that's not going to make or break the franchise. I have no problem with the contract. Uh, I hope he could play in the top four. I really hope that they give him an opportunity to do that. Um, but they are crowded on D with 
you know, getting Holden and, and Delzato, uh, Louis, do you think that they're, do you like, because, because DJ Smith, like, spoke openly, like, he likes Mete, like, he liked him yeah. going down the stretch last year, do you think that there's a spot for him on the top four? I think so. I mean, especially since Bruce said apparently that the expectation was for him to, is for him to play in the top four this upcoming season, which what does that say about guys like Brandstrom? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know, but yeah, I, I li- actually listened to Mete's interview on TSN 1200 and it seems like him and DJ have a pretty good rapport. Like right. he lets him play a style, which he acknowledges he's good defensively, even though he's small. Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he's, a, he's good at, uh, suppressing shots and chances he's not a non-factor offensively it's just really no. his finishing isn't really that great um, we, we've seen him rush like he he had some really, really yeah nice, like he's got some good speed he can rush the puck and he could get into the zone which is his two-way transition game is really yeah. good like whether it's on offense or defense and then even then in the defensive zone he's very capable so yeah it seems like it seems like the Sens like him more than we thought they did before mm-hmm. the contract because there were rumors like that his contract was done around the same time as Zub, and then we didn't hear anything until arbitration, and then they settled beforehand. So maybe they do value him uh, mm. pretty highly, which would be great, because I think that that's a pretty good deal. And just a funny thing about Mete, I was listening to that interview that I mentioned, and Alex Formanton is dating Victor Mete's fiance's sister. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Family size. Yeah, Holy. anyway, there you go. There you have the patented sense connection with not only that, but with Mete also playing with Formington with London and at the World Juniors. There you go. There's your Sens dating knowledge for the day. Um, but Josh, I mean, we talk about how they like Mete. Um, Louis touched a bit on Brandstrom. It's looking like it's it's going down the wrong path here with him. Um, do you see realistically a future where Eric Brandstrom is on this team in the top four playing actual minutes, or do you think that he's as good as gone? I, I, there's so many different things that go through my mind with that because now that Mete is probably playing the top four, according to now off Twitter, Bruce Garriott. Um, so I'm thinking if Mete is in the top four, he could either stay on the left where he's been, or maybe they try and move him to the right. And that maybe leaves a spot for Branstrom in the top four as well, or they move Branstrom to the right. That, I think that's the only way that Branstrom has a top four role is if one of those two moves to their offside. Then you could also do Brandstrom on third pair, which is not ideal, right? You need him to start developing into a top four defenseman. Or, of course, he's either, like, you know, a healthy scratch or he's traded. There's just so many things. And I just think with Dorian, he might have this, this willingness to hold on to Brandstrom longer because he traded one of the best forwards in recent memory for him, for yeah. like almost one for one. Um, I, I am very intrigued because I, I personally am a big fan of Branstrom's game. I think if he's given a solid role with a solid defense partner like Zub, I think that'd be ideal. But I think they're sacrificing Branstrom, part of Branstrom's future just to try and make the playoffs, which I don't think is the right thing to do. No, that's uh, that's definitely a fair point. I mean, they're very crowded on D now. We were talking about it a little bit earlier, but you have, at least on the left side, and, and I think DJ Smith, said that Delzato and Holden can play both sides. Um, mm-hmm. And you're going to assume, I think, that that JBD is starting in the AHL. I think that's pretty much as, as good as, uh, you know, uh, that's, what it sh- that's what it's going to be. Uh, but uh, 
we'll see what we'll see what they do. They they have a lot of defensemen and they only have six spots. So there could be a trade. And I mean, we talked about the Eichel Eichel trade last week. It's it's got to be on the table, man. I refuse to Please. acknowledge that it's not on the table. Um, but obviously that's a bit of a pipe dream. I don't think that's going to work out. But we'll see what they do on the um, the other event besides free agency that's been going on uh, the last week or so is the various prospect tournaments that have been going around or going on around North America. Um, the Ivan Holinka tournament happened and it happens every year. And it's usually like, there's the big four, you know, the big countries that usually do very well at it, like Canada and the UN, you know, the, the Russians and the Swedes and the Finns, but Slovakia had a heck of a tournament and it kind of seems like it, you know, you, you don't really think about Slovakia as this like, major hockey power like they've got a few players here or there but they were they were legitimately dominant um with a lot of top prospects for the draft in 22 and 23 um so their future is looking incredibly bright louis why don't you tell us a bit about uh some of these slovakian guys that are coming up and and how well they did in this tournament well this is probably the best like group of slovakian prospects i've seen probably in my lifetime just looking at past years like i think I don't remember who mentioned it exactly, but I'm pretty sure there's only three, um, three Slovakians in the NHL right now, like regular NHLers under the age of 35. Yeah. Which is Tatar, Chernak, and someone else. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, this was although they lost in the final today to Russia and with no Canada team, that that was the team I was cheering for. Slovakia. They were just such a fun, such a fun team to watch. So many promising prospects. Um, but yeah, so they had two very high end probably top 10 picks for 2022 in Juraj Slavkovsky and Simon Nemec. Uh, Slavkovsky is a big hulking power forward, uses his big, he's already 6'4", 225. Um, he uses that frame to physically dominate. He's like a bull, very good shot. His one-timer is elite. And just in this tournament, he seemed a little inconsistent in terms of his willingness to push the pace of the game and put opponents on their heels with, like he has great skating and skill, but he didn't seem to use them as much as he usually would. Um, it could just be like a confidence issue and getting acclimated to a bigger stage, but he, he's going to be a, such a fun player to watch and he's going to be imposing in, in many different ways. And uh, Nemec is really good too. He, he will be very highly valued by NHL teams because he's a right D. He's still 6'1", 192. Um, and he has all the tools you want in a modern D, man. High-end skating and hockey sense, whether it's an offensive zone or the D zone or even in transition. And then looking at the 2023 picks, um, Andre Molnar, is was just absolutely outstanding at this tournament super brilliant skater he's got the four-way mobility the speed and the acceleration and he's super smart with an innate ability to escape pressure and then dalibor dvorsky like a, a pretty decent amount of people started hearing about him at this tournament um just because of his absolutely insane production like he broke i don't remember if it was the slovakian or the underage record for points but after two games he had nine points which is just yeah. crazy for an underage player but yeah, he, he's super skilled, great IQ and creativity. He's got that innate offensive prowess you like to see in top end prospects. And like he could improve his straight line speed and his acceleration, but he's definitely a top end guy. So just as a, because Louis touched on it, that there's a chance that these Slovakian players can go top 10 in their draft year. Here are all of the players in NHL history from Slovakia to be picked in the top 10. Marion Gabrick went third to Minnesota. Robert Petrovicki went ninth to Hartford. 
Branislav Metze, I don't even know who that is. He went 10th to the Islanders. And Boris Valabic went 10th to the Thrashers. That's it. Those are the four Slovakian players who have gone top 10, and three of them were in nine and 10 spots. So this is quite legitimately a, a nationally defining few or a couple years for, uh, for Slovakia in the draft, which is crazy. Um, but Slovakia was not the only team at this tournament. Um, Josh, I know you started to cover these, these next or at least the next draft, uh, at least a little bit. Um, maybe you can talk about some of the prospects that caught your eye from from the other countries. Yeah, two other countries that I think have uh, some star players coming in are would be Russia and Finland. Um, I'm currently kind of almost obsessed with um, what JYP's got going on in Finland. Um, Brad Lambert wasn't at the, the tournament, but they do have Joachim Kamel. Uh, he's, he's just... And a terrific player like he, he's a bit undersized he's at 511 I think 175 is what he's listed at but he's got an absurd shot he's got a ton of skill I was watching him in U20 from last year and he just he, he didn't belong there he should have been in the pros but he's got such a strong frame I just I'd watch him lose a puck and just decide you know what I'm just gonna run you over because I want the puck back and I think that's the correct blend of skill and strength Right, a guy who's primarily skilled but is also not afraid to just absolutely blow someone up when they have to. Um, but yeah, I know he wasn't there, but still for the 2022 draft is Brad Lambert, who's just another terrific talent, so skilled. It's so fun to watch him skate around the ice, just almost do laps around guys. And um, another player who's there, 2023 draft eligible. I think it's important to know for Sense fans, Robbie Yarventi's brother, Emil. Yeah. There you go. A very likely sense pick. Um, <laughs> so I might have to start scouting him soon because I could totally see us going for him next year. There you go. So, I mean, uh, the Sens really like these family ties. I mean, it seems like everybody that they draft has had an uncle or a dad in the NHL or someone's best friend. So um, welcome to the team, Emil Yarventi, I guess. Might as well give him his cap now. Um, yeah. But, uh, but Louis, the, these, so these next two drafts, because – the 2021 draft, I mean, obviously every draft is going to have good players, but this was kind of regarded as like, it, it was a step down from the 2020 draft, which had Definitely. so much high-end talent. Do you think that these next two drafts are going to be more, you know, there's going to be a lot more better players available and the, the general talent is going to be higher than, than this draft that just happened? Yeah, especially at the top end. Like, I'm so excited to see the 2022 and 2023 drafts and how they're going to shape out. Like, just because in 2022, you already have, Josh and I were talking about beforehand, you got, like, at least seven fours that could be first liners. Like, just take, for example, the guys that were at the Canadian World Junior Summer Showcase, because that also just happened. Right. Um, the top 2022 and 2023 prospects also really shown there and are perfect examples and demonstrate why the top end is going to be so good in the upcoming drafts. Like, you have Adam Fantilli, who's a 2023 prospect. He's a guy who's always on the move and always on the prowl for opportunities. He exudes power with his physicality and his skating, add on a very good playmaking ability, and you got a transition beast there. You can really feel how dangerous of a player he is when watching him. Um, you also have Matthew Savoie. He's going to be this year, 2022. He should go very high. Yep. Um, probably the, one of the best, at least, offensive acumen and skill set of the players in the draft. Um, you mix his really, really good skating and hands with the deception that he has, and you get a player who is nearly impossible to read and so damn dangerous on the rush. 
add on an incredible shot and really just can't give him any time and space when he has the puck. And he's not shy physically either. Uh, and then lastly, you have the pretty much consensus number one pick, at least for now, I guess along with Matvey Mitchkov uh, for 2023 with Connor Bedard. And he just has that aura of a franchise-changing player. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the best shot of any undrafted prospect in the world. Uh, his mechanics are so clean. The power and accuracy is really there already. Uh, the speed at which he can get a shot off with limited space is really incredible. And he's got mesmerizing crossover ability. Like the, there's been some clicks online where he just his crossovers to get speed up the ice are just on another level. And the thing with players with such high vision and hockey IQ is that he's almost always able to get free of his man and slip into open pockets of space that don't seem to be there. And then he just generates them and gets there to to get into open spots. And he can also lead teammates into similar spots with his uh, playmaking ability. So yeah, you really have like right there, you have three possible superstar first line forwards. Mm -hmm. And that's not even looking at the defensemen. And speaking of defensemen, there are so many top end right D which is such a hot commodity in the NHL that are going to be available. So NHL GMs are going to be drooling over that. <laughs> but yeah, especially compared to 2021, there's so much more top end. Like even, And even though the Sens are supposed to be getting out of the rebuild and everything, but if we don't wow. make the playoffs, it's not the end of the world, man. Yeah, These drafts are insane. Say. Like, especially if the Sens just finish 10th or 9th, you win the lottery, you get a right or a Bedard or something crazy. Mitchkov, you know? And, and you'll least... still probably get a good player at nine or 10 if you don't. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You, know you can I mean? still get a possible first liner. So I, I'm just super excited. Yeah. It seems like there's the Sens can do no wrong in these next couple of years, right? Like either they finally make the playoffs, you know, after all these years of rebuilding and all, oh, it's so great. Finally, playoffs are back. Chuck gets to play in the playoffs or they don't. And they get another incredible player this next year. And maybe another incredible player the year after that, maybe they make a trade or two. Um, but yeah, a lot of there's going to be a mass infusion of young talent. I mean, obviously the draft hasn't been happening. It's way too early to call it one of the best drafts ever or anything like that. But when you look back at 2015 and how good that draft has turned out, um, maybe we see something like that again. Um, but uh, but back to the prospect tournaments. Obviously, there was the Holinka. I think it's it's actually called the Holinka Gretzky now, isn't it? Yes. That yeah, tournament. It so sorry, Holinka Gretzky. Um, <laughs> The World Junior Summer Showcase also happened. Um, and there were a, a pretty good amount of, of Sens prospects in that tournament, a lot of them coming from the U.S. Um, Jake Sanderson was there. Um, as well on the U.S. team was Tyler Clevin on D uh, and Tyler Boucher, their most recent, uh, most recent first round pick. Uh, and then Levi Marilinen was in net for Finland. Um, he played quite well. Josh, I don't know how much of that tournament you watched, but it, it, I mean, a lot of people, there was an interview, I think, with Pierre Maguire. I don't remember where it was, but he was talking about like Jake Sanderson was just the best player at that tournament. Um, so, you know, obviously it's expected that he's going to play a big role at uh, North Dakota and at the World Junior Team. Um, do you like how his development is, is going so far, Jake Sanderson? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't one of the only ones who didn't think Sanderson was the best pick when we selected him. I, I knew he was, you know, a great player, but with a guy like Drysdale, a right-handed D on the table, some some people thought maybe he was the right pick. But going back, I mean, the, the, the big thing I think that was almost a, not a breakout game for him, but a breakout in terms of putting the world on notice was that 
the longest NCAA game of all time where he yeah. played around 50 minutes. Yeah. And it was like the start of the fourth OT. Was it fourth OT? Third OT? Where he's just like, he's seriously still doing laps around guys. And it's like, yeah. this guy still has energy and he's, he just, he can take over a game at the NCAA level, which is so good to see. And I think he's going to morph into one of those analytical players that, you know, the analytics side loves, but he's also, you know, a good eye test player as well. He can play both ways. He can, mm-hmm. you know, stop the rush. He can also lead the rush. He can join the rush. It's just, I do think there's a lot of potential there. I think it's, uh, he's probably our best prospect, you know, outside of, hasn't touched the NHL yet. And it's, I'm very interested to see that jump from the NCAA to the NHL because I don't think he's ready for the NHL yet, but I do right. think he's almost too good for the NCAA if he took a step up from last year. Yep. And I think in that McGuire interview, he made, it was not a direct comparison, but he kind of generally compared Jake Sanderson's situation to Kale McCarr uh, in the sense that he's taking this college route. He's a very high pick and a defenseman. Do you think that, Louis, their games are similar, McCarr and Sanderson. And could you see, you know, obviously if Sanderson becomes Kale McCarr, then that's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, you know, do you think that there's there's anything there and, and they kind of have, you know, translatable game styles at all? I think they both have really good skating and they can, they have threats in transition. I don't think their their style of play fully compared to each other. But I, I can see why they would make the comparison to like let him marinate one more year, right. really develop his offensive creativity and just general acumen in that sense. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're perfectly comparable players, but it's going to be super fun to see Jake Sanderson. Actually, now that he's, he's already established himself as a player there, he's going to be on the top pair now that Matt Kirstead and Jacob Bernard Docker are gone. And yeah, like Josh said, he, he seemed to only get better throughout the year. And especially in that one game, like he seemed to get better as the overtimes go- went on. Like that's probably right. a product of just everyone else getting more tired and him probably just having some insane endurance. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's definitely going to be super fun to see him marinate a little longer and kind of blossom into a probably very dangerous offensive threat as well with the, as his defensive uh, strengths already. And I think that the way that the year is structured with the NHL and the college uh, year going kind of back to normal, there's a chance that we see Jake Sanderson at the end of the year, whether it's in Ottawa or in, or in Belleville. I remember this happened with, I think it was Christian Willannon like years ago where he finished his season at, at UND signed his ELC with the Sens and then played like four games at the end of that year. Um, so there's a chance you never know maybe we see jake sanderson in ottawa or belleville uh at some point this year but uh josh maybe you could touch a bit on on the other sense prospects that that uh that played at the summer showcase marilinen uh was quite good in net for finland and then boucher and clevin for for the states yeah i can touch on that um one thing i do want to go back on sanderson with the comparison to Makar is i think a big thing that'll separate them is Makar's just so incredibly dynamic offensively and Sanderson does have good good four-way movement at the point but I don't think I don't know if anyone in the league can compare to that so I think holding to that standard is almost setting yourself up for failure as much as he will be a good offensive player I don't think he's gonna have the dynamic ability McGar has but I I do still think he's gonna be a top pair of D-man I just don't think he's gonna be right best defenseman in the league type 
Makar is way more deceptive too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and he, and you know the fact that he's shorter than Sanderson definitely helps in helping him move that quickly, right? You're not going to see Sanderson breaking ankles as often as you see Kamakara doing it, I wouldn't think. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, transitioning to Boucher and Clement, I mean, Tyler Boucher, I think, did uh, he, he looked a lot better. It, it was interesting because he was injured last year, so he missed a lot of time. Now he's, he had time to regroup, get ready for this tournament. Um, one of the people I really like on Twitter, Mitch Brown, was talking about how he does such a good job at getting open. And then more than just getting open is he'll sort of act like he's covered and then pop out into an open pocket and be able to score. And he's strong down low, which hasn't changed. He's looking even stronger. Um, I, I like the step he took so far. I, I don't know if he's become a top 10 pick, but I, I think he's still going to be a good player. And then on Clevin, he he still hits. He still hits people. Um, <laughs> people were happy with the step he took offensively last year at UND, and he's going to get an even bigger role this year in the top four. I, I do want to watch more of that develop because I'm not sure, right? That was a very heavily criticized pick. Well, they traded up for him too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Two so, yep. yeah, which turned out to be decent picks as well by the Leafs. Yeah, Nemal and um, Hervinen, right? Yeah, and Hervinen yeah, exactly. fanta- Hervinen was fantastic in this tournament, by the way. We should. Add. Yeah, and yeah, Nemal is goals. another defenseman, right? So yep. he he mm-hmm. won uh, defense in the tournament at the World Juniors last year. Yeah. So he's kind of got a big. Uh, he's got a lot to prove, and at least he's at UND, which is notorious for developing these insane defensemen. So we'll see if uh, if he can keep going because I don't know if talking only about how he's hitting people and getting penalties for it is the right way to talk about his game on Twitter. Right. But I've heard some good things about the, the way his offensive game is developing as well. Yep. It's, he's definitely more of a project, um, you know, and, and being at UND will help with that. But before we, we move on, Louie, maybe you can touch on uh, some of the other non-senators standouts from that tournament. Obviously, Aturati was a really – or I guess it's Atu Ratu, is it? Yeah, Ratu. Yeah. So he's an interesting story because I think not, I mean, a year or so ago, he was like in the conversation for the first overall pick, right, of the yeah. of the draft in, in 21. He felt the second round to the Islanders, which, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were happy to get him there if he was regarded as a first over, as a possible first overall pick not too long ago. How did he do in the summer showcase? He played with a chip on his shoulder. He knew that he wanted to prove that he was still first round worthy. And yeah, how many points did he say? Did he get again? Like 14 or something? He mm-hmm. he popped off, man. He, like he got four goals the day. Was it the day he got drafted? Or the day after? But oh, yeah, I think I'll, it was the day after. Yeah. Anyway, he's insane. Josh probably knows a little bit more about Ratu than I do because he has more of a an inside step on the, the Liga scouting and everything. But yeah, Ratu was definitely one of the standouts there. Logan Cooley was very good too. He's a top 20, top 10 possible prospect for 2022. He's not as flashy or dynamic as the other guys there, but he still has a ton of skill. The essence of his game is that he's an all-around poised two-way center with high IQ and all the tools necessary to translate over to the NHL. Very good skating, uh, strong playmaking prowess. And I think... The video was circulated on Twitter, but he scored that OT goal that Sanderson assisted on. Yeah. Where Sanderson led the rush pretty much by himself and Cooley came in with the speed and finished it. But yeah, just the way he played, like he's not super flashy, but he still has all those skills. He kind of reminds me of a forward version of Sanderson, (laughs) where he's not the crazy dynamic, sexy pick that everybody wants, but he's still very efficient, good skater, good playmaker, and all that stuff. 
gets the job done. And and Josh, before we move on, maybe you can just talk a little bit about Ratu, and then we can we can get to some more sense stuff. Yeah. So like Louis said, I I worked well, worked. I mean, I held a position with Dauber uh, talking about Liga prospects for a while. And I wanted to understand why he almost fell off a cliff, seemingly, before the draft. So I went and watched about just over a dozen games spanning three seasons. And the thing I really noticed was he completely dominated the U20 level every single year. Right, That's why he was predicted first overall, is he was 16 years old dominating that level. And then as soon as he hit the Liga for the first time, it seemed like he just hit a wall. And... I think to me, the big issue there was as soon as he went to the Liga, he became almost scared to attack the middle of the ice. And he went from a player able to just dangle all five players and hit the slot and score to a guy who just takes shots from the point because he seems to you know skate up to the point and shoot it even as a forward. Um, so maybe playing in this tournament, a step up from the U20 level, but also not as good as the pros could be a good stepping stone to him you know, gaining confidence to play at the pro level. And I think it is a big reason why he was able to put up that many points is it's not the same as that legal level that he's now accustomed to. So if he right. can figure out that it's more of a mental thing than it is a skill thing, because he does have the skill to become a top six forward. He just hasn't been able to put all the tools together to do that at the pro level. And I think that's why he fell so far as, right, we know that the junior level, we know that the OHL is different than the NHL, but the U20 finished juniors and is you know, a little step below the OHL as well so I think it's gonna be interesting I didn't think that he was worthy you know of that top 10 pick I still think he should have been the first rounder but that I think that's the big issue with him is the the transition to a pro level and now he has to transition to North American ice if he wants to become a an NHLer yeah so he, he's another guy like we're talking about Clevin he's a project but when you're in the second round you should be drafting those projects that have the upside I feel like he's a guy who would really benefit from AHL time or even ECHL time for that matter. He's a guy who, as you said, he needs to adjust to the, not only does he need to adjust to the North American ice, but like you said, he seems to have a bit of an issue playing at a pro level with men and, you know, leagues like the AHL and the ECHL, obviously great for development um, in that, in that regard, but I'm sure the Islanders have a plan for him and are happy to get him at that spot, but we will move on uh, from all the prospect stuff. As we mentioned before, previously in the episode, the Sens did sign Victor Mete to avoid arbitration. He was an RFA. And now they have a couple more contracts to go here before training camp starts. The big one is Kachuk. Still not done yet. I don't think, I don't think anyone's really worried about this. It's going to get done. Like that, that's, It's going to happen. Um, it's just, I think, a question of, is this going to be a long-term contract or is this going to be a bridge deal? Um, and the AAV might, you know, depend on how many years that they, that they get with him. Uh, Louis, what would, you know, as a personal preference, do you kind of think that they should go long-term with Brady Kachuk if they can? And, and, you know, I've seen the AAV being tossed around maybe around seven or eight. Uh, and do you think that that's a fair number? Yeah. Um, well, like I had mentioned before with Nurse, do you want to lock up those, those, I guess elite players pretty early on just so that because if you give them a bridge bridge and we saw that with stone then they're gonna they're gonna keep developing and mm-hmm. they're gonna command much more later on right um so yeah may, maybe you keep it on brand and do what Crosby did and you do seven times seven for number seven you know um, <laughs> right so 
that's probably something that I would like to see. Uh, I don't know if they are aiming at a bridge deal, how the captaincy is going to be involved there. Yeah. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see it play out because that's good. That's the big domino that we're waiting uh, to have fall. And I think it's important that you, you point out, you know, the fact that a bridge deal can really help the player in, in negotiations. Mm-hmm. So you got to think that Kachuk is looking at this like, okay, they just re-signed a coach that I like. He likes DJ Smith. I think that's, that's, it's public that he likes DJ Smith. And I think that he likes it in Ottawa. They re-signed DJ Smith for two years. You know, their rebuild is nearing conclusion. And I think it's time where he's a guy like he wants to get, he wants to play in the playoffs so bad. You just like, he would, he would love it. I mean, obviously, and he yeah. wouldn't love it, but he would just, oh, he wants it so bad. And so I think if you're Brady Kachuk, you're looking at this like, okay, I want a bridge deal so that the team can prove that they're going to make the playoffs. Like prove to me that you're, your this plan is going to work so i'm not you know kind of sitting here for the long haul and we're never going to be good um and so i think he would definitely want a bridge deal um like his brother yeah exactly it runs in it runs in the family um josh do you think that if if they do end up deciding on a bridge deal that it's that would really be like quite crippling to the sends and and how they wanted to you know form their team in the future or do you think it's really not that big of a deal well, it's a big deal if, like we said, Melnick doesn't start spending and then all of a sudden Kachuk st- starts to think he wants out because a bridge deal um, would have to be two or three years because if it's four years, he becomes a UFA. Right. So you're looking at a two or three year deal. And I, I'm of the mindset that bridge deals should only really be used, obviously, if they need to be, like maybe Kachuk refuses a long-term deal, but bridge deals should only really be used for contending teams who need to save money short term. Where the sense of 30 million in cap space, maybe 8 million is a bit of an overpayment right now. But then once you're in your contention window, it might, he might be getting underpaid a little bit. So yeah. if he's willing to, I think that the obvious thing is to go eight, you know, somewhere between seven and $8 million over eight years. But then all of a sudden, let's say Kachuk signs for three years at maybe let's just, for example, five and a half million, that cap hit means absolutely nothing for those three years. We're not going to be up against the cap. Yeah. Right. And then that's up. Even if he wants to stay, that eight times seven and a half, for example, might become eight times nine if he's broken out or if other players of similar caliber have got that much. And now you have even less cap space when you're spending money. Um, but it does scare me because we've seen so many players not end their careers here. Mm-hmm. And right, Kachuk's one. And then if Kachuk's gone, what's Stutzel going to want to do, right? Right. Yep. You have Drake Batherson as well. Josh Norris is due a contract next year. Like this core is almost at the age where the big, big bucks are starting to come in. So this is, this is where the the plan was, you know, unparalleled run of success. It got a bit thwarted by no fans in the stands. Right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what he has to do. I think it's worth pointing out that it's almost like they've modeled this rebuild around Brady Kachuk in a way. Like you're drafting or you traded for a guy like Norris best friend or whatever it was that it came out. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're building around him pretty much. And it would be really disappointing, not only from a fan, but from an organizational standpoint, if the guy that they're building around doesn't want to, you know, he, he doesn't work out. He walks. That's like a, what, what a waste, right? Like what a waste mm-hmm. of, of, of a five-year rebuild. Um, but I, I mean, the good thing is he's going to like, he's not, he's going to play. He's going to get signed and he's going to play. It's just a question of how long will the contract be? 
I don't think the cap hits a huge issue at all. They have so much cap space. Um, that should not be an issue. One guy that's getting lost in this with all the Kachuk talks is Drake Batherson needs a contract. And I think that he's a super interesting one because like, who, who do you have in Drake Batherson? He has scored at a, you know, zero point, half a point per game pace in a hundred NHL games in his career. I think he's got like 53 points in like 98 games or 99 games. And, you know, what is that at such a young age? Like that seems like it should be worth something at least a little bit significant. Uh, I think you look at him and you're thinking that that like, he's going to be a top six for, he is a top six forward for your team. Um, the market has been really weird for top six forwards. I don't know. I've, I've seen a lot of numbers thrown out for Batherson. I've seen, you know, th- I think the question here, it really is if you want to bridge him or if you want to do him long-term, I think he's more of a riskier long-term option than Kachuk would be, because I think with Kachuk, you know what you're getting, like, you know what you have, but Batherson, it's what happens if he gets cold. Can he produce, can you know, can he still be effective if he's not scoring um, and kind of what happens there? So Louis, would you be okay with a bridge deal with, with Batherson more so than Kuchuk. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just because there's a little more uncertainty. Um, yeah, exactly. I'd still rather see it be more of a long-term thing. Like Josh mentioned longer contracts at for, for players of this age who seem to be on the up and everything and have potential. That's what would be preferred, especially with Batherson being, I feel like he was such an underrated good zone entry guy, especially on the power play like this year, he was probably the most consistent guy at getting the puck into the zone. Cause we know, the sense power play zone entry woes and all that stuff, right? <laughs> a drop pass. Oh God, man. Um, but yeah, the whole slingshot thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Batherson, he he was very consistent in getting into the zone, um, getting like high danger chances or high danger assists off of that, and just passing it through the zone and getting it in. But yeah, he was he was an inconsistent like producer in terms of scoring. Like it, he'd go like five games in a row with a goal, light right. up Calgary for a little bit, and then. <laughs> And then calm down a little bit. Yeah, I'd rather see a little bit of a longer contract, but I'd understand it more here, if you know what I mean, for um, for a bridge deal, because I guess they won't want to repeat the Colin White thing. But I feel like yeah. Batherson likely won't be in that same situation as White. He's a bit of a different player than Colin White, I think. I also I, didn't get carried by Mark Stone. He also did for... not get carried by Mark Stone. That is a good point. I mean, he he had a good like he had a good year last year. He, yeah. he scored it, I think, around a 50-point pace. Um, yeah, it's 25 and 25. Yeah, he's on pace there you go. So exactly a 50-point pace. And, I mean, 50 points is, is pretty so- – I mean, it's not McDavid numbers or anything, but you don't need him to do that. Like, that's, 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 a, that's a solid player in your top six. If he plays like he played last year, I would have no problem giving him a five- or six-year contract if he plays like he did last year every year. You're kind of like – you know, the yeah. way that, Louis, you were talking about how he was streaky kind of reminds me a bit of Mike Hoffman. Um, in a way where Hoffman would go, you know, have these crazy goal streaks and then completely disappear for like two weeks and then come back and, and score a bunch. So I obviously are they the same player. Definitely not. Um, but Josh, I think, you know, you look at the possibilities that you could do with, with a long-term or a, or a bridge deal, what like the AAV is really interesting. Would you pay Drake Batherson five or even $6 million? Or do you think that they should try to go a little lower? I'm not sure. I, I was of the mindset that I wouldn't mind a long-term deal at like five and a half, six million. Um, another thing to consider is he had 34 points. 15 of them were on the power play this year. Mm-hmm. But then the flip side of that is he scored 15 points in the power play. That was not good. What's he going right. to be able to do on a power play that is good? Like, right. is this, 
sure he might get 40% of his points in the power play, but if he's the guy driving it and it becomes a good power play, maybe that's obviously that's still worth something. I think it's, um, it's interesting that you talk about the power play like that. Cause it seems like Batherson is what they wanted Dadanov to be. Like they bring Dadanov in to be, you know, he was, this guy who was just feasting on this power play in Florida. Just, you know, he's getting the one timer spot. He's scoring a lot of goals on the power play. And then he comes to Ottawa and sucks. Like he's terrible. And then Batherson, meanwhile, is developing into this great power play player. Um, so maybe you filled a need there that you didn't even know you were going to fill with this player, which I think could make him worth a little bit more. Uh, but he, he is, it'll be interesting. I think that the, it'll come in around five, maybe six. I don't know. Like, I don't even like, I, I think the Sens are kind of just because they, who is their, their only forward or really their only forward under a long-term contract right now is just like Colin White. I think. Colin White. Yeah. Right. And that, we talked about it like that's not a, it's not a good contract but i like colin white but it's just not it's a very good contract. Liner, yeah. yeah so are they scared off by that like maybe they don't go long term with batherson because they're a little bit scared of what happened with colin white but at the end of the day we'll see and then it's then it becomes like if they bridge deal him and then he like lights it up that's the thing that i'd be scared of is if he's doing this if he's playing at a 50 point pace at like what how old is he like 21 or 22 22 um 22 like he could he could get better he's 23 or he's 23 oh, yeah. he could conceivably get a little better like he could you know he's this is not as this might not even be his peak so if you bridge him he gets better and now you got to pay him more in you know two three even four years then that's a problem for you down the line yeah i think when you project the sense future lines as someone like if i'm just looking at it personally i think your ideal second line in the future would be kachuk norris and batherson yeah, and then you have Stutzel on the first line, and maybe you acquire one C either through the draft or through trade. Eichel. Jack Eichel, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, it's okay. We see him as our second line right winger. He's sort of you know Norris drives play well. Kachuk goes to the net, and Batherson's kind of the sniper on that line. Mm-hmm. So if you're expecting, okay, Batherson becomes a 25 goal, 60 point player who does well on the power play. How much is that worth? You know, if you're giving that guy five and a half million on your second line right wing power play guy. I think that's a pretty good deal. It's just yep. a question of is Batherson going to want if you, cause if you're looking at a short, let's say we're looking at a three or four year deal, three year deal, probably for a bridge. What is he going to accept coming off a year where he was about to score 25 goals, 50 points, right? Like you're probably not going to take 3 million. Yeah. Right. So if he's taking four, four and a half on a bridge, I don't think he's going to take five, five and a half long-term. So yep. that number may even be in the six range, which I think is a bit high right now because yeah. he's unproven. But it's, it's it's just basically another risk reward type thing where it yep. could pan out and be amazing, or it could end up screwing you. And it's we'll see what Dorian wants to do. I mean, eventually in a rebuild, you got to take some risks, right? Like you can't yeah. just you know what I mean. Yeah. The Sens have been a, a, a quite of a, a low risk team, especially in the draft the way they draft. Um, but eventually you got to swing for something. And I they I mean they tried it with Colin White, didn't really work. They like the Shabbat contract is nice, but you got to, I mean, you got to really try to get your guys locked down and, and make it work before we go. Let's, I mean, the other two, I mean, notable contracts that need to be handed out. Gustafson is an RFA. I don't presume that'll be too much of an issue. I'm sure they'll go. It'll, I mean, I guess the thing with him, that'll be interesting if it's a one way or a two way contract. Um, yeah. That might that'll be, be telling on their, his usage. Cause they did this with the, the Decord. I compare it to the Decord situation. Cause when they signed Decord, it was like, a, I think it was a three or two year deal. The first year was two way. And then it was one way, I think. 
at the, the yeah. second or third year. So maybe they do something like that. Logan Brown also needs a contract, but I kind of, it seems like he's not even going to be on the team in a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, if might, anything, it'll be like a two year, 900 K or something. Stupid. Right. Exactly. Or maybe they'd trade his rights before. Um, but unless you guys have anything else you wanted to touch on, I think we're about out of time. Um, so I guess that'll do it for this fourth episode of the Zoopcast. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure to subscribe to Spotify or any podcast platform that you listen to. And we will see you guys next week. Yeah. And happy Cody CC the shot anniversary. Happy everybody. Cody CC the shot. Yes. We almost forgot just a magnificent day in the world of hockey. Um, Cody CC the shot will live on forever in our minds. To the blue line, Barry on the other side, CC shoots and he missed the net by a mile.